happiness and thriving isn't something reserved for the few. It's something that everyone deserves. And as I've come into these understandings of these beliefs, uh, I've just been on a mission to understand why that's not currently the case and then figure out what can I do to create the conditions where that does become the case for everyone. The Grow Dialogue podcast is a liberation project that explores equity, inclusion, belonging, conflict resolution, and culture in the workplace and beyond, including in our personal relationships, families, and communities. Each week, my co-host, Mariella Marie, and I will bring you insightful guest interviews and artistic expressions curated to amplify emerging voices who are sharing practices that support society's transition to a more collaborative, just, sustainable, and liberating coexistence. We live during a time when divisiveness and polarization dominate the social, economic, and political discourse. In response to this reality, and empowered with the skills of authentic dialogue and systems thinking, I created an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability called Theory of Indivisibility to help illuminate a different path forward. Our hope is that these conversations and calls to action will ignite tolerance and empathy and provide guidance for our global listeners who want to actively engage in ending all forms of oppression while creating thriving relationships in the workplace and beyond. I'm Dr. Sunjata Sunjata. Let's grow dialogue. I'm just super excited to be here today and, and share this space with you, Sunjata Sunjata. Thank you so much. I won't waste any time because we got a lot of questions to roll through so that our audience can get to know you. Um, and also, you know, towards the end, we'll have a couple moments for them to get to know me as well. But you are on my spotlight right now. So I want to I want to take most of today to to got to you know guide us through some questions for you. All right. So, we've got a full season ready for our listeners to dive into, but before we reveal all of the nuts and bolts and pieces that go into uh, this beautiful podcast that I have the pleasure of producing with you, Dr. Sunjata Sunjata, I just want to make sure that our listeners get to know you a little more. So, I'm going to ask you just like, you know, free, a free flow of questions. Feel free to approach them however you'd like. But we really want to know who is Dr. Sunjata Sunjata? Where do you come from? Where are you going? What helps you thrive in the world? What are your biggest pleasures? What are you most passionate about? Crack this conversation open with that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first of all, I'm just really happy to be here with you, Mary Ella Marie. Uh, so glad that we are embarking on this journey together um, to learn and share uh, together with, with one another as well as our listeners. Um, so just I feel privileged to even be able to share this space with you and, and all the listeners who are going to join us on this journey. Um, let's see, who am I? I'm just a kid from West Philly, you know, at the heart of it. That's 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 who I am, man. My journey has been it's been an interesting one, um, you know, and I and I, I don't I know that's I'm not unique in that. I think, you know, this this life and everyone's journey is is unique and dynamic and complex in so many ways. I currently live in uh, Georgia, uh, right outside of the city of Atlanta, and uh, I've been here for 15 years now. Um, I'm a father of two. Uh, I have two wonderful, wonderful children, Skyla and Scotty. Uh, ages 14 and 10, and I'm a, a thinker. I am someone who, who loves uh, deeply uh, all people. I have a baseline love for all people and all living things. Um, you know, I, I don't know where that came from. Um, it's just something that I noticed in myself that kind of evolved over time in terms of this this passion for people and wanting to see people happy and wanting to see people thrive. And a belief, a deeply held core belief that happiness and thriving isn't something reserved for the few. It's something that everyone deserves. And as I've come into these understandings of these beliefs, uh, I've just been on a mission to understand why that's not currently the case and then figure out what can I do to create the conditions where that does 
become the case for everyone. And that curiosity, that line of questioning has driven me, you know, since my early 20s. If you're enjoying this conversation, we invite you to join our Grow Dialogue community. By joining our intentional online community, you'll be able to activate authentic dialogue around some of the chewy topics we explore in the podcast. You'll also be able to receive exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. You can also support us on Patreon to help keep this labor of love going. Thanks for your continued support. And now back to the episode. Uh, I remember being an undergrad um, in college and literally waking up in the middle of the night and feeling like afraid in a sense, because I realized that I felt, I felt like a calling on my life that was gonna require much of me. Um, up until that point in my life, I was really just kind of following the scripts, you know, wanting to be, be successful and make a lot of money. Um, you know, that was what it was all about, you know, be successful and get into a position where I can make a lot of money so I can buy nice things. You know, that was kind of the driving force of what I understood life to be. And all of a sudden in my early 20s, this this, this consciousness and awareness around suffering um, and, and, and others not having access to the same traje trajectory towards being able to accomplish and achieve the things that I was on the trajectory to accomplish and achieve, it bothered me. And, uh, and that kind of shifted. And over the course of many years, that shift continue to happen incrementally. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of start with that kind of, that's when it really hit me in my early twenties and I realized I had a calling on my life. Um, but you also asked like, you know, what are, what are my, my pleasures and my, my joys? I enjoy spending time with people that I love and care about deeply and who love and care about me deeply. Um, you know, those are the things that, you know, I enjoy. Those are the things that bring me pleasure. Um, it's just being you know, in community and, and, and having fun and a good time with, with the people that love me and that I love. Um, and I say I'm passionate about this work. You know, I'm passionate about, you know, grow dialogue work. I'm passionate about my theory of indivisibility work, which all in, is all encompassed in what we're going to be going through in this podcast. You know, being able to do this is literally a passion of mine. When I feel like I am creating content and putting content and ideas and thoughts and engaging in, in dialogue, um, you know, with other curious people about how we can make the world uh, more equitable and safer and, you know, uh, create the conditions for, you know, people to thrive. That's what I'm passionate about. And when I say people, I mean all people. So that's, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. <laughs> In a nutshell, beautiful nutshell, I know that you're going to unpack a lot of that as we continue this conversation, and especially as we have our invited guests come on and we have our calls, calls to action and the things that we'll be sharing online for people to participate. Um, so for those who are listening, I know that Sunjata Sunjata already sounds like a really interesting person because he is. And so, you know, be looking out for just more about him and all the things that we've got coming up here on the podcast so we can share more. I love this focus on community and being passionate about, you know, creating the this, this safe spaces where people can express themselves, people being, you know, all inclusive, no matter where they come from, no matter their lived experience. And speaking of stories and lived experiences, um, I just I want to give a spoiler alert warning for our, our listeners now. So Dr. Sunjata Sunjata will be asking every guest on the podcast to share a story that has been inspiring them these days or that has inspired their work. So I know you probably have several stories um, just probably with this question that comes up as you've been navigating different spaces, you know, with education, in the corporate, in the corporate world, you know, in local community spaces, now in the digital space. Um, but I'm gonna challenge you to pick one story as I know you're gonna ask our guests that join this podcast as well. So um, we'd love to hear a story that has been inspiring you today or that has inspired your work recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I think about this question, what inspires my work and what a story that inspires me, 
I have to say it's the story of hip hop. Um, and I'm so inspired by hip hop music, um, specifically the kind of hip hop music that's introspective, that tells a story, that challenges um, social norms, um, that challenges individuals to think outside the box. Um, lyrics that are complex, double entendres, metaphors that have different meanings that force me to think. Um, I'm, I'm inspired that, you know, hip hop artists, the hip hop artists that share their art in those type of ways that that's, that's layered. I'm thinking about Jay-Z. I'm thinking about Kendrick Lamar. I'm thinking about Andre 3000. I'm thinking about Lupe Fiasco. I'm thinking about J. Cole. Um, I'm thinking about The Roots. These artists inspire me so much. And I listen to more recently, because you wanted to know the now, I'm getting into Kendrick Lamar's latest project. And Kendrick Lamar inspires me so much because he's raw, but he's a storyteller and he's a genius. Everyone I named is a genius. You know, I, I see rappers in general as geniuses to be able to tell stories and put together, you know, lyrics in the ways that they do to rhyme and, and, and have different meanings, et cetera. But the way that Kendrick Lamar does it to challenge listeners is so amazing. And, you know, I listened to a podcast um, called Dissect that dissected his early work. And it focused on Good Kid, Mad City on one show, but then there were several shows that broke down to Pimp a Butterfly. And it showed the thematic arc of the work. And it blew my mind. And ultimately that podcast on that, the, the formatting of that is actually what inspired uh, my Theory of Indivisibility podcast in terms of the way I formatted it, um, listening to that podcast. And again, artists are able to say things that people don't say, generally speaking, in like conventional life and day-to-day -day, you know, ways that we talk and communicate or in conventional spaces and places. You know, they're able to be so raw, so uncut, but still nail a message. And ultimately, you know, when I think about the things that go through my mind, unfortunately, I'm not able to rap, but that's why I podcast <laughs> because it, I feel like it gives me an opportunity to share my thoughts with the world um, and, and, and whoever is for is for. And I just, you know, I aspire to be unapologetically me. I aspire to be, you know, to, to talk my shit the way they talk their shit. And again, whoever is for is for whoever gets it, gets it. For some people, they may listen to it one time, but then when they listen to it again, they get something deeper. All these elements of when I listen to hip hop is what inspires me to do what I do and be bold and do what I, and say the things I say uh, with no fear. Yes, I love, there's so much to unpack there as well. Um, I know that you're gonna, we're gonna uh, exchange the mic and you're gonna ask me some questions towards the end, but I have a lot to say about the importance of that, you know, the artist as a vessel of change and just awareness and expression so that, you know, we can uh, think for ourselves essentially and share our stories. So this is a great, I mean, you, a story or a, a thread of stories that have been inspiring your work hip-hop is such a big story and even the people that you're naming within hip-hop um you know their lived experience and the poetry and the performance and the artistry that they share with us you know this very um intentional package of we can say truth right um the the spoken word that is a lost art actually and um, on another show we can talk about the difference between maybe you know, like hip-hop and rap or just like hip-hop and like the current day rap hip-hop what people are calling um I don't want to get into like you know how old I am because I feel like there's a definitely a difference and I want to challenge people who think they can 
you know, uh, you know, step into the big shoes of Jay-Z or Kendrick Lamar. It's like, actually, you need to practice. (laughs) You need to, you know, be in touch with your authenticity um, and, you know, tap into that. So that's a whole nother conversation. Thank you for opening that up because I'm going to put that in some show notes. If people are interested in checking out that podcast that originally inspired you um, with your uh, with your first podcast or was it your second theory of indivisibility? And you've done so many. Okay, second. Mm-hmm. So I'll make sure that we'll include that in the show notes so folks can also take a listen. Um, so let's move on to this next question. So you call yourself a systems thinker. And even in your introduction, you're like, I'm a thinker, right? Mm-hmm. And specifically, you know, you're a thinker and you're a systems thinker. And I've heard you speak to this, um, you know, in several of our private conversations and also public conversations. So I'd love for you to you know, explain a little bit to our listeners what that means and how that affects the way you approach your work and your relationships. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'll first say that, you know, I, you know, through my, again, through my 20s, I was just curious and seeking answers and wanting to understand the way, the reasons why the world worked the way it worked. And I was like bumping up against a lot of walls in terms of kind of hearing the same the same patterns, the same stories. Um, and ultimately there weren't really anything that led me to solutions that were different than what most people thought were solutions that were ultimately leading us back to the same problems. And it wasn't until my doctoral studies that I took a class called Thinking and Systems that I was introduced to this concept called systems thinking. And what I learned was that systems thinking was a, a framework, a language, uh, a set of tools, Um, for understanding the root cause of, let's say, just just issues, the root cause of anything, Um, understanding the underlying patterns um, to why the world unfolds the way it unfolds uh, in front of us in the life that we live and the life and the environment that we experience and everything we experience. And when I learned systems thinking, I like to say that night became day. I now began to see things so much clearer and it gave me so much hope. And it literally has inspired everything I've done since I took that class back in 2009. Yeah, it's just given me so much to be able to, 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 to convey information the way I convey it. So I'll say that, you know, how that impacts me is that, you know, conventionally we're raised to be linear thinkers. You know, we see, we think cause and effect. You know, we think A causes B and B causes C and C causes D and so on. And in reality, the way that nature works and humans are nature is that we don't live in a linear world. We live in a world of cycles and circles and patterns. And literally our language and the way we talk and everything is linear. We evolved to think linearly and and talk linearly. So therefore, the way that we solve problems um, tends to lead us back into more problems because we're not thinking in circles, we're not talking in circles. And and when I say circles, um, that's in, in systems thinking terms, it's called feedback loops. But we really live in a world where A impacts B, B impacts C, and C then impacts A. And again, A impacts B, or let's say influences B, B influences C, and influence C influences A over and over and over and over again. This world of, you know, circular um, cycles of of interactions. So there's a misalignment um, that exists. And once I began to understand systems thinking, understand feedback loops, I see the misalignments clearly and it inspires me to want to continue to do work to try to help other people see those those misalignments more clearer so that we can create new systems that are in alignment with the patterns of nature and the universe. Yes, that you set the stage up perfectly for this next question because 
we're going to get three different perspectives from three different voices in the industry, um, specifically who, who can shine a light on corporate culture. So the word misalignment and like cycles and linear thinking, I feel like all this has to do with lots of conundrums that we're seeing in, in this industry with corporate culture. Lots of things are, you know, coming to the surface. Um, lots of folks are trying to figure out how do we approach, how do we understand? And I feel like, you know, if, if we could, um, reflect on, you know, maybe some nonlinear thinking in order to truly, uh, you know, at the root, solve some deeper problems or issues um, instead of just trying to check a box or, you know, superficially solve problems. I feel like I want to, I want to add that I think is really important. And I think it does play into where we're going. Um, Because you mentioned checking boxes and and, and procedure and all these things. Um, You know, I mentioned that I was introduced to systems thinking through my doctoral studies. But what I want to share is that systems thinking is something that's innate. It's intuitive to all of us. Um, And we were designed to think in systems. And because we are walking, talking, breathing systems ourselves. It was over the course of literally thousands of years now that intuitive knowing has been conditioned out of our conditioned out of us due to the way that our current social systems operate. So what that means is we've gotten further and further and further away from this intuitive, you know, this intuitive intelligence that the universe operates with, that nature operates with. And again, humans are nature, but our current social systems have designed out that intuitive knowing. So I just wanted to say that it didn't take a doctorate degree for me to get access to this knowledge. Uh, It just so happened that that's where I was reintroduced to the modern way of explaining something that is intuitive and natural. You don't need to get a PhD in order to learn about systems thinking. We have this intuitively and it's just a matter of, you know, demystifying that essentially so that we can have access to it. So this is this is actually one of the most exciting things for me in this podcast is so that we can help folks know or, or reveal how we can think for ourselves um, and hopefully come back to our deeper connection with nature, which speaks in cycles, which reveals things in cycles and things like that. So let's let's just go ahead and crack open um, our first theme for season one here on the podcast. Our first theme is corporate culture. We're going to get three different perspectives from three different voices in the industry who are finding ways to support society's transition to a more collaborative, just and sustainable, liberating coexistence. So my question to you, Dr. Sunjata Sunjata, is what are you looking to unpack, understand, discover and encourage in these conversations? What I'm looking to unpack, encourage, discover is really the the ways that individuals are starting to you know challenge the status quo or the ways that they've been challenging the status quo the awakening that various individuals have gone through to understand that the status quo that we've adopted is misaligned with their true nature and who they are and how they want to show up in the world as their most authentic selves And I grew up in an era where it was all about fall in line. It was all about fall in line at home, fall in line in neighborhoods, fall in line in school, fall in line in the workplace. The adults in my life, because they thought they were doing what's best, enforced this fall in line message and and, and energy. And the goal of these conversations is to discover when these people realize that that energy was no longer serving them and us. You know, it was no longer serving us to in, in terms of what's best for the greater good. I want to know like when they had their light bulb moment, you know, and what inspired them to say, I need to start thinking differently and acting differently and moving differently and speaking differently and how that has impacted how they move in corporate spaces. Um, And we're gonna, you know, we're gonna explore these themes across several different contexts, but we're starting in corporate spaces, you know, for the listeners, because Grow Dialogue, the company, you know, we work in corporate spaces doing trainings and coaching 
So that's why we thought starting there would be a great opportunity, a great point of access, because most of us, you know, we've worked so hard and we've strived so much to get footing and gain access to these corporate spaces and, and a level of security and success through operating in these spaces. And now we're in an era where people are trying to stretch out and say, okay, how can we make these spaces, you know, more equitable and, 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 and less oppressive, you know? Um, so I, I love that. I love that I'm, I'm alive during this time. I'm a lo I love that I have an opportunity to influence, um, you know, change during this time. And I'm, I'm really excited about being, holding space with others who are doing the same. Let's start by defining culture. What, is, what does culture mean to you, Sunjata? In, in any given context, culture exists. In any relationship, there's a culture. I wanna start there. So, you know, I believe that there's a culture, like my own, there's individual culture and in how I am with myself, how I think, you know, how I treat myself, um, how I move throughout the day, how I make decisions, resolve problems, etc. You know, conflict within myself, uh, make decisions, solve problems. There's that's a self culture. Then I think in any relationship I have, there's a culture, um, and again, it encompasses those same things. You know, um, how do we communicate? How do we make decisions? How do we resolve conflict together? And how does all that feel to me? to you and our culture and, and, and how we move together. And then that continues to expand out within those same indicators, family culture, neighborhood, community culture, work culture, team culture, any dynamic where people exist, there is a culture. And it's all about how we are choosing to be with and for one another and how that feels for everyone involved in that energy that we're sharing, to me, all of those things are what encompass culture. All right, great. So let's go a little deeper here on corporate culture. So what is corporate culture in your, in your definition and what is its impact on the world? Sure. Um, I also, as I share that, I wanna share that, one thing that I, I didn't say in my previous explanation is that culture can be there's a difference between a culture that exists and then a, a culture that's intentional. Because culture exists whether we're conscious of it or not. And I feel like it's important to understand that uh, intentionality around culture can make a huge difference in every context I just explained as well. So I wanted to say that. Um, in terms of what I think corporate culture is, again, corporate culture is the way that any given company, organization, corporation um, exists together. Their norms, you know, their patterns of communication, um, you know, their patterns in terms of how they make decisions and resolve conflict, right? All those things continue to exist in terms of what corporate a corporate culture would be and how they are for one another and how all that feels in that space. What are the, how the results of how they make decisions and how they resolve conflict together um, encompasses, and, and how that makes everyone in that space feel encompasses what their culture is and what corporate culture is. And in terms of corporate culture's impact, you know, one of the things I was thinking about recently was how corporations, we live, we live in a in, in a time where a lot of society society's greatest challenges are being tackled within corporations. It's like that's the the workspace, the battleground, if I can't think I can't think of another way to say it that I think captures what I'm trying to say. Almost like the battleground or the I find that the way that this, this place and time that we've arrived in, in our existence as, as humans, where corporations have that much power, is, is just fascinating and interesting to me that 
instead of people organizing in their neighborhoods and coming together in our various communities, people come together at work. They're coming together at work to do these things. And that's interesting to me. And whether I think it's a good thing or a bad thing, I think it's irrelevant because it is the thing and it's reality that we exist during a time where more people spend the majority of their time, energy and effort at work or thinking about work than they do in their communities. That's not to say there aren't some community organizations or just grassroots, just people in neighborhoods who are putting their heads together and getting things done, because I know that happens. But um, I just found it fascinating that there's this this, this sense of responsibility. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I, 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 I'm happy about it to a degree because the level of accountability that has forced the hand of corporations to have to address these issues I think it's a good thing because they have consolidated so much power at this point in our in our history that if we can deconstruct and decolonize and bring about anti-oppression themes and ideals in those large conglomerate spaces where hundreds of thousands of people you know converge ultimately millions and in, in some corporations alone there's hundreds of thousands of people within those corporations like yeah, I think uh, that's where the work, that's the, again, just because of the time and space we live in, that's almost like that's the battleground for this work right now. I'd rather it be happening than not happening. So that's what I'll say about that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I know that you mentioned in your introduction, um, you know, your your journey thus far and how you've created your theory of indivisibility. Now, I'd like to use some time now to crack that open a little bit. I know you're going to be exploring this more and more in the interview, so no need to go super deep. But it is something that, you know, I find um, as, as I hear you speak about it more and as I like, you know, reflect in my own personal life, how I can practice, uh, put this theory of indivisibility into practice. Um, it gives me so much hope and I want to just, you know, extend the invitation to our listeners um, to one, try to understand uh, this beautiful theory of indivisibility that you have uh, proposed. And then I want to bring that into this corporate culture space. But first, please briefly describe how you came up with the theory of indivisibility and what it is. So my theory of indivisibility uh, it's both an aspirational declaration and it's an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability. And what I mean by that is, it, and also it's it's a podcast <laughs> and it's also, you know, a, a, a visual album that's about to drop. Um, and all of that encompasses, you know, what I just said in terms of it being like an aspirational declaration and a framework for social sustainability. And what I mean by that is the way that I talk about it is the declaration, the way that I've written it out, um, which people can find just by Googling theory of indivisibility. The You'll see the framework, which is broken down into how there's social systems in society that currently exist and some perpetuate tools of oppression and some perpetuate tools of indivisibility. And I created a list of elements that if those elements exist in any given social system, they will foster oppression, unfortunately. And then I created a list of elements that if they, ex if they exist in any given social system, while that social system is also rejecting the tools of oppression, the elements found in the tools of oppression, then it will foster indivisibility as well as social sustainability, as well as creating safer relationships, safer communities, and a safer world um, where everyone can thrive. You know, um, so the reason why I call it, you know, a framework for social sustainability is because with the level of awareness that can come just from reading it you know when you see that a tool of oppression for example is power over and control standardization the idea that 
Well, let me start with power, power over and control. You know, most of our social systems that dominate our current society uh, globally are rooted in power over and control. And well, let me go back. What is a social system? Because I talk about social systems, right? You know, a, a social system is any formal role, status, idea, or label created by humans that can form a stable grouping like words, language, cities, laws, family, community, economics, politics, religion, race, gender, all of these things are social systems. Some people say social constructs. If it was created by humans, it's a social system. And to contrast that in your mind, if it was created by nature, it's a natural system. So trees, people, other animals, lakes, you know, etc. Those are natural systems, planets, etc. And all the things that humans have created that we see in our existence are social systems. So social systems rooted in power over and control have dominated for the last approximately 10,000 years since the agricultural revolution, because prior to that, humans lived egalitarian. And after agriculture, the, the social climate shifted towards power over and control due to various reasons that I won't get into here. But, you know, what does that look like? Well, it looks like patriarchy, the idea that men have more power than women and children. It looks like standardization, it, the idea that there's one there's a one size fits all to anything. <laughs> when you try to fit humans into the idea that every human should be doing things the exact same way, when in reality, humans, just like nature, are dynamic and complex. Um, that causes so much dysfunction trying to force people to all move in the same ways. Moral judgment, you know, uh, forcing our ideals and how we believe onto others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can fall under tools of oppression. And then on the flip side, there's tools of indivisibility that things like agency, you know, respecting everyone's right for self-actualization based on how they're wired to self-expression based on who they are and how they're wired you know affirmation instead of fear and control and scarcity mindset you know and I, ideas like affirmation and sharing and consent instead of rules and laws we have consent power with and collaboration instead of power over and control you know so all these tools of indivisibility that i list out and there's more you know, just speak to the conditions that if you create that in any given relationship, whether it's your relationship with yourself, your relationship with one person, your relationship as a family, and then out, outward, community, into, you know, teams, work, etc. If you embed these tools of indivisibility, then you'll get totally different outcomes. And that is my beliefs based on, you know, my, my understanding of how systems work and how I see nature operating and things that I've learned along, you know, through my study of systems thinking, as well as, you know, authentic dialogue, which we'll talk about as well. Beautiful. Yes. I know that that is just, you know, picking one piece of fruit off the tree of theory of indivisibility. I'm going to put it in the show notes as well, where folks can learn more. Um, and you, you wanted to add something else? Yeah, because you also asked, like, how did I come up with it? So, you know, it evolved. You know, it evolved. Um, I literally came up with it again because I'm driven and I've been driven by the desire to understand the dysfunction and the divisiveness in society and why it perpetuates. And then once I understood systems thinking and I understood the patterns that keep kept that keep producing the dysfunction and the divisiveness. I understood that as a systems thinker, it's systemic. It's not because of individual actors. Yes, the individual actors play it out, but what they're doing is they're playing it out based on the rules of the current game, the current systems. As a systems thinker, I understand that if we want new results, we have to create new systems that produce new results. You can't just yell at people and say, do better. People are operating within the rules of the current systems or games. You know, you all may have heard the term, don't hate the player, hate the game. So when I understood this, I said, okay, well, if we're going to create new systems rooted in different things, what do they need to be rooted in? And that's what helped me to start coming up with teasing out these, you know, these systemic elements 
that will breathe and perpetuate sustainability, social sustainability, which will allow all people in nature to thrive. Um, so that was a part of it. And um, yeah, that, that's a huge part of it. And, and it, it, it was, I was doing this podcast called Race Haven. And, you know, we were having authentic dialogue about race problems in America. And ultimately, I realized as my systems thinking lens and knowledge grew, that the solutions to race didn't lie within race itself, because race had the race, systemic racism was being influenced by other systems. So I started to think, well, what systems are influencing systemic racism? And I was able to you know, kind of go back in history and, and do the whole evolutionary origins of all these things. And that's what this, the theory of indivisibility podcast breaks down. But that was literally I was driving in my car one day and I started making the connections and it was like a light bulb went off and I literally had to pull over and just draw circles and, and write stuff. And I had it and I was like, this is it. You know, this is this is it. If folks can understand and see this, then they can believe that we can create something better. And I've been on a mission ever since to kind of, you know, to get it out and share it. Yes, I love that. I love the the awareness of like, let me stop and write this down because this is a, you know, this is a, this is a, an important download <laughs> that I'm getting right now. Um, and, you know, there's so much stuff happening in the world all the time. When we channel or when we download or when things come to, as you said, you were able to connect some dots and you pulled over and you wrote that down. So I'm really grateful for that moment. Um, all right. So let's see what this has to do with the corporate culture theory of indivisibility so i know that you're going to unpack some of this with our guest speakers but just if you could give us a high level um view on what you see happening in the corporate culture space that doesn't align with the theory of indivisibility i know you could probably make a big list but maybe pull out just a couple of that you want to just you know reference right now sure so Wow, that's 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 a lot, you know. So many things out in ways that corporate culture is currently not aligned um, with my theory of indivisibility. I would say, you know, the the hierarchy, the top-down hierarchical structure that corporations uh, operate by are uh, the cause of a lot of the dysfunction and the feelings of oppression that you know, a lot of people in corporate spaces feel um, through no fault of their own. You know, even the owners and the folks who run these companies who think they're doing the best, who are trying to do the best they can, and they aren't intentionally trying to hurt or disadvantage or oppress, but it's, it's just intrinsically built into the systemic structure of how corporations run with this whole hierarchical, you know, model. And, you know, within that hierarchical model, you know, the idea that some people have more power than others, some people have more, um, you know, uh, the idea that some people's knowledge is more important than other people's knowledge, um, you know, things like that are in misalignment, um, you know, standardization and the ways that certain elements of, of work, you know, something as simple as everyone has to be here at the same time and leave at the same time, or everyone has to eat lunch at the same time. You know, we're all different. Some folks may want to eat or not eat at the same, a different time. Or, you know, some folks work better later and they're not early morning people versus some people are early morning people and they don't work better later. It's like all these different things that there have started to be some shifts, which is cool, but it's things like that, um, you know, that that cause a lot of the, the frustrations that people are experiencing. Uh, when we talk about equity, inclusion and feelings of belonging, you know, there's communication silos, um, you know, in corporate America that exists in, in most companies where there isn't full transparency. There's this idea that, you know, only certain people need to know certain things. Um, so there isn't a culture of transparency and trust. Uh, there's certain rules that exist because, you know, uh, you know, corporations feel like people need certain rules in order to get things done. And all, all these things that just don't... and it doesn't help people feel like they belong. It doesn't help people um, have psychological safety. Um, you know, the idea that there's certain things that people have to leave about themselves at the door. They can't bring their full authentic selves to work uh, for, for fear of being judged or ridiculed, you know, based whether it be identity-based, um, et cetera. So there's, there's just so many things that, you know, are misaligned um, in corporate spaces. And I'm happy 
that again, I'm alive during a time where most corporations are now pressured to hire people to address these things. That's why they, they're hiring global heads of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, directors of DEI and all these different things. You know, and for me, DEI is literally a different acronym for decolonization. Ultimately, that's what it is. And that's the work that's being done and it's heavy work. But the fact that there's people in these spaces now who have an opportunity to do that work, I see so much. It gives me hope and I see, you know, an opportunity for so much progress in that way. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of misalignments. But, hey, we're alive during a time where we can even we can speak it and say it. And 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 people are listening. Absolutely. Our parents and our grandparents and our great grands couldn't even speak to this. So this is a great time to be alive. Thank you for reminding us of that. So big question here. Can corporate culture go beyond diversity, equity, inclusion? Um, we talk a lot about how this has become this performative space now with, you know, we need to check the box. We need to make sure that people see that we are trying to be more inclusive um, and they're not really going to the root. They're not really, uh, you know, figuring out how to how to uproot this and plant a new seed. What are your offerings as well? Because I know Grow Dialogue has some beautiful offerings, as you mentioned in the introduction, that we offer for corporate corporate folks and also for families and different spaces like that. But let's let's highlight specifically the corporate space. What are your hopes here? Um, well, I'll say to answer the first question is: Can corporations go beyond DEI? The answer is yes. Um, they can, and they eventually will. Um, what I, what you and I know from the work that we do is that corporations are in a phase that I like to call um, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, phase one. Um, and beyond that is, well, let's say phase one of that work is, you know, rewriting policy, um, hiring someone to, to signal to their their people and to the public that they care, um, you know, rewriting and rewording their website to look like they're more equitable and inclusive, things like that. So it's all about appearances in phase one, DEI phase one. Um, and phase two is beyond that. Phase two is behavior change. Phase two is getting to the root of the problem. And this that's where the hard work the harder work, you know, will come in. And that's where a lot of people will, will, will be, will go kicking and screaming, but based on the arc of history and what it tells me is that they're going, they're going because the arc of history tells me that we've constantly been moving towards equity, inclusion, feelings of belonging, decolonization, ultimately. And when they're ready for that phase two, Grow Dialogue will be ready to serve because that's what we do. We have tools and processes designed for accountability and behavior change to help organizations stay aligned to being who they say they want to be. You know, most corporations, when, it, when they're in that phase one operational mindset, you know, they will hire, you know, some consultants and they'll do some feel good workshops. Then ultimately they'll revert back to their old norms and their old ways of being because those are so deeply ingrained. If they don't implement a very intentional process for continually moving forward towards creating the change of behavior that's needed to ultimately be who they say they want to be, then they're going to be stuck and they're going to they're going to be behind and ultimately they're going to lose out on talented people wanting to be a part of that organization to the organizations who are willing to make those changes in those in those intentional ways because the masses, the people, we see it. When I speak to, you know, um, when I speak in front of people that work in these corporations and I've given several talks you know, over the last few years, and I've gotten lots of feedback from people who work in these spaces, they're, they're ready for phase two. 
and they understand that a lot of the, the higher ups aren't ready for phase, aren't ready to move to phase two. You know why? Because it's going to require giving something up. You know, when you're when when folks have power, because, you know, we talked about power over and control. Right. We grew up and we've been indoctrinated to aspire to having power over and control of others. That's what su su success looks like. You know, success says if I can have more power over and control over people, that leads to more individual power for me, which leads to more money and access to resources for me. Equitable, <laughs> equity, inclusion, etc. It looks like sharing. It looks like collaboration. It doesn't look like top down. It doesn't look like, you know, one person or a small percentage of people having access to the majority of the resources and power. It looks like shared power, shared access, shared resources. So that ultimately means that some people will have to give something up. So they're going to go kicking and screaming because it's going to go against everything that they've been indoctrinated to believe is everything they built their identity on. You know, all the accolades, all the success, all these things is what most of these people have built their identity on. So I empathize with them because they're not doing anything wrong. They're literally playing the game the way the game was designed. They're doing great. However, the way that the game was designed is causing the perpetual dysfunction and divisiveness that they're also saying they want to be a part of solving and ending. So you can't have it both ways. So we just need to, to transition with grace. It doesn't need to be a blame or shame thing. Everyone's, everyone's truly doing the best they can. And again, that's what our company, Grow Dialogue, is uniquely positioned to do. We're uniquely positioned to usher that transition with compassion um, and, and, and help people to learn the skills necessary to make those transitions for the greater good. Yes, I love this. And it gives me hope because, you know, it can be, it's easy to become cynical in this space where it's like, y'all don't really want to make change. You just want to put the mask on and collect your check and maybe move up the ladder. But like, I'm so blessed for, for our connection. And we met in this virtual space and, you know, during the pandemic and, and you help, you know, help me to readjust that, that lens that I have that doesn't, that doesn't go into the system of, of, you know, oh, shaming or blaming or feeling cynical. It's like, wait a minute. Again, we're all human. And I have to trust and believe that within our humanity, we have we have this intention, this deep commitment to collaborate and to be inclusive and to learn from the systems of nature, right? So um, your work, working with you and Grow Dialogue and just, you know, being in conversation with you helps to, you know, remind myself to not be so cynical because otherwise it's super easy and there's so much set up for those cynical people to just, you know, continue down that wormhole. So thank you for highlighting grace in this work because that is definitely necessary um, as we are unshedding all of, you know, century old doctrine and practices and it's hard, but we have to we have to call on our, our our deep intuition to help lead this change. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Dialogue podcast. Remember to join our Grow Dialogue community to continue the conversation, activate authentic dialogue, and to get exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. Check out our show notes for more info and visit www.growdialogue.com to join our live events. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support.